Good morning. Oh, are you guys in for it today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is truth. We thank you for the privilege that we have, Lord, to hear your word, to listen to you speak to us. I pray, Father, that as your word is opened, as we hear it, as we believe it in faith, that you would change our hearts, that you would transform our lives to be more into the image of your Son, in whose name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Good morning, my name is Angel Contreras. If you're visiting here to Peace Community Church, welcome. It's great to see you, and it's great to see everybody here who's not visiting, who's actually here as a member. It's wonderful to see your lovely faces. And I'm pleased to uh, take the reins of the pulpit while Pastor is gone this week. Um, and we're going to be studying a little bit on the, in the book of Second John. And uh, I want to do a shout out to those of us online who are watching. Hello. This, it's really weird knowing that you're actually online because you're not quite sure what people are looking at or where the light's hitting the right way. So it is what it is. But uh, I was raised on the north side of Chicago. I don't know if anybody else was here from Chicago before, but I was raised in the west side in a little town called Humboldt Park. Now, Humboldt Park is a wonderful little town. It's a beautiful community with these beautiful brownstone two-story buildings which used to house apartments at that point. They also had gray stones. It's surrounded by beautiful trees. It was just a great time. And I was raised there from the, like the mid-60s to the mid to the end of the 70s, a long time ago. Yes, there was creation back then, just to let you kids know. Now, when we were there... It was a little bit different than it is now, because Humboldt Park has become very gentrified now. These brownstone and graystone buildings have become single-family homes worth millions of dollars, and back then they were just apartment buildings. There were other apartment buildings there as well that would span half of a city block, and there would be three stories and multiple families would live in these homes. They weren't projects, they were just gorgeous buildings or, you know, with little beautiful apartments, which again now probably are more or less uh, condominiums because it's stepped up because of the way things changed. When I was there, though, it was, a little, it was a hot spot, we called it. Not hot because it was a cool place to go dancing. It was a hot spot because there was a lot of gang activity back then. The Latin kings, the gay lords, and the disciples had no problem running around the neighborhoods and making their artwork known over the sides of these wonderful buildings. We learned very quickly when I was young how we had to be aware of our surroundings. As we walked down the street, we couldn't just enjoy the beautiful building and architecture. We had to be careful because such enjoyments could be costly. We had to remember and keep our ears open, our head on a swivel. We had to have our eyes dotting back and forth to make sure that we heard sounds that we were familiar with. And if there was nothing we weren't familiar with, we would be able to get away if we needed to, or at least know where to walk. You see, you had to be careful what you wore in those areas, because if you had your hat cocked the wrong way, you could find yourself in a heap of trouble. It was not unusual for us in the evenings to hear the pop, pop, pop and screams of bullets in the evening. It was not unusual for us to hear broken glass and people running and cussing and screaming down the streets and car sirens and things, I'm sorry, and the police sirens. But you learned the lesson. You had to be aware of your surroundings. You had to be care- careful. Even within the building that we lived, I lived in a three-story building on Cortland Avenue, Cortland and Whipple, right on the edge of Humble Park near Sacramento. And in that building, I lived there on the first floor. My 
grandmother and grandfather lived on the third floor across the hallway. My aunt lived. So we had people we were aware who lived in the building. And we were pretty much aware of who came in and out of the building. Well, December 1974, my grandfather passed away. And it was a sad time. And by that time, Mom and I had moved up with my grandmother to live with her. My aunt had since moved away, and we were not familiar with who lived there anymore as we were before. Now, as good Catholics back then, what, one of the things we did when Grandpa passed away was, as part of mourning, we would do a rosary. So we would go out in the evenings and, and do our little bead prayers and then come back home. I was about nine years old. And one of those evenings, this was about maybe three weeks or four after Grandpa had died, we come into our home, open the door, and find that the entire uh, house had been turned upside down. Everything that we held dear was as if a tornado came through and ransacked it. My grandmother ran into her bedroom and looked at what was left of the, uh, the chest of drawers that were all, they were all undone and found that they'd taken two precious things from her. My grandfather's gold watch, which was a joke on the thieves because it wasn't real gold. And they took his wedding band. Those two things were very precious to my grandma. Now, I don't know how many of you remember my grandma. She, she came once or twice a long, long time ago before she passed. But she was a lady, very smiley, very happy. This was before she was a believer. But the one thing about her is that she never cried. That woman, I mean, she had a high pay, uh, tolerance for pain, and she was not a crier. She just wasn't that kind of a lady. But that broke her. I remember her cries, and it haunts me even today, of what she lost because she was... You can imagine how violated we felt, and she was violated at that point. And all because we weren't aware of what was going on. We had suspicions that somebody was casing the joint. Something was going on, but we weren't aware who it was. We just came back and saw the devastation. We had to be aware of our surroundings. I've taught that lesson to my kids all through their lives, even when I drove them, drove them through the old neighborhood. So be careful, just watch around. You don't have to be paranoid. Paranoid is different than watching your surroundings. Being paranoid is being afraid of shadows. Being aware is just knowing what's going on and being ready to act if you have to. The book of 2 John, that's the main theme of this book, being aware of your surroundings. 2 John was written by John, the beloved disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, he doesn't name himself in this book, but he does, but you see a flavor in this book that echoes throughout his other writings. See, John wrote five books. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. Of those five books, he only names himself by name once, and that's in the book of Revelation when he says, I, John. In the other books, he calls himself by other titles, the beloved disciples. And in this book, he calls himself the elder. So let's open our Bibles, if you would, and let's look at Second uh, John. We're going to go through the whole book together. It's a small letter. It's only 13 verses. It's like a postcard rather than a whole treatise. So open your Bibles, and hang on, it's on page 1025 in your pew Bibles. I had to remember because it just that's how it works. So look at page 1025 or open up your Bibles if you have them. Listen with faith to the reading of God's Word. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace 
will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one that we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him a greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. We're going to walk through this, uh, this passage together, these, uh, this book together, and we're going to ask a couple of questions. One of the questions we're going to ask is, what are our surroundings? The second question we'll hope to answer is, what should we be doing in our surroundings? How should we behave? How should we walk in our surroundings? And finally, what should we be looking out for in our surroundings? So we're going to begin with, what are our surroundings? Well, let's work our way through This is the elder. Interestingly, John is calling himself the elder. He doesn't call himself the apostle, which he could have, but he calls himself the elder. And I want you to think about this. This book was written anywhere between 70 and 95 AD, about that kind of a window. John is the last apostle living that was the eyewitness to what Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection were about. He's the last guy that would be able to tell you what color his eyeballs Jesus had, what breath Jesus, what his breath smelled like, what he wore. He was the one that saw Jesus glorified at the transfiguration. He was the one that ran to the tomb ahead of Peter in order to see an empty tomb where Jesus was not there anymore. He was at the cross And Jesus gave charge of his mom to this guy. That John. He was a fisherman. He was the, his brother is named James. They were the Zebedee boys called the sons of thunder because they had uh, a little bit of a fiery disposition to them. They were willing to destroy a city because they didn't respect Jesus in the Samaritan city because they didn't respect Jesus properly. But these guys changed. John changed from a son of thunder to a beloved lover of God, a tender disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, he calls himself the elder because, or the presbyter or the overseer, rather the, the apostle because the age of the apostles is passing away once he's gone. Once he's gone, that's it. So the teaching authority, the eyewitnesses will no longer be there. That trust that the apostles had, that that 
complete package of teaching is now going to be handed to the eldership, the overseers or the presbyters of the church, in order to guard that and teach the people. As an elder, that makes me tremble a little bit. As an elder, and my fellow elders can attest to this, we have a responsibility to watch over you folks, spiritually. And we have the responsibility to love you folks. Heck, we even have to kind of like you guys. And we do. But we're walking in the steps of John? That makes me shiver a little bit. Because we get judged a lot harsher than the average person before God. Because we're to be examples. It's a grave responsibility. And for John, this was a grave, tender responsibility. He loved these people. He wanted these people to remember important things. Remember, this is the last time that these guys are going to be there. The fledgling church is now now walking on its brand new legs, and they have to learn how to walk on their own. So there's a sense of urgency in this book. And you'll find that as we read along. That's why he says in verse 8, Watch yourselves. Keep your eyeballs alert. Who is he writing to? It says he's writing to the elect lady. If you look in the rest of the verse, he says, he says the elder to the elect lady and her children. Now there's controversy as there always is. Who is the elect lady? It's an enigma. We're not quite sure. One side says that this is an actual lady with kids. Okay, that's fine. The other side say that this is a metaphor for the church and the congregation. That works too. Because the church is known as the bride of Christ, a lady. And we are the children of God, the children. Or it could be an actual person at the same time. In either case, what I'd like you to zone in on is the idea that she is called elect. I tend to believe that this is the church. As you read the rest of the uh, the rest of the uh, passages and the rest, it kind of has this feeling that he's writing to a congregation of people rather than just to one. But I don't have to divide over that. The thing that I want to key in is that she's called the elect lady. Beloved, to be the elect of God means that you're chosen by God. It means out of the mass of humanity, on the mass of dead, rebellious humanity, God chose to show his love to a certain few out of that. In covenantal love. He chose to place his love on certain people out of that dead rebellious humanity. Therefore they are chosen. They are elect. Romans 8.31 Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Titus 1.1 Paul, an apostle, a servant of Jesus Christ to the ones chosen or elect of God. 1 Peter 1 says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the elect, those in Pachas, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia. Revelation 7.14 says, those who are, who are with him, that is the Lamb, are called elect and faithful. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've repented of your sin and you've trusted in him as your Savior, you are elect. You don't have to be ashamed of it. It's just who we are. I'm humbled by it. Why would he choose an idiot like me? But God is gracious and he's chosen us out of something. He's chosen us out of the world. In John 15, 9, it says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
And then Jesus says, And for their sakes I consecrate myself, so that they may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one just as you are one. God has, chased, has chosen you out of the world. What are our surroundings there for? We're in the world. We are chosen out of it. We are, not, we are in the world, but we're not of the world, just as Christ is not of the world. We are united to Christ. And that union brings us in union with one another. Look what he says then. He says, these whom I love in truth. Now, I'd like you to, as you read the rest of the verse, I want you to notice something. When God repeats, when you see God's word repeat the word twice, it's important. When you see it repeat, the word repeated three times, it's something you should pay attention to. But when you see a word repeated as it is in this passage five times, you best pay attention. It's important. The word that's repeated in verses 1 through 4 is the word truth. Listen. To the elder, to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but all those who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth. Do you think he wants to get something across here? Truth is very important to John. It's one of the things that he wants us to use as the lenses by which to be aware of our surroundings. Truth. Now, what is truth at this point? Now, the word truth, uh, the Greek word truth is aletheia, which means that which is not hidden. That which is reality. That which is there. And that which is in line with the character of God. The character of God defines truth for us and he reveals truth through us to us. Truth is reality. Now there is gospel truth, which is a truth that comes directly from God, which he reveals to us that we cannot know unless God reveals it to us. Because God is infinite. We are finite. If the infinite does not reveal infinity to the finite, We'll never know it, but God uncovers gospel truth to us so we can rely on it. And it's important to John that these people remember, that these folks remember, that we remember and are invested in the truth. The truth unites us. The truth is known. It says, not only I, but all those who know the truth. The idea of truth being known is that you're intimately related with the truth. It is active in you. It influences you. It changes you because it makes you think differently. Truth, when you know something is true, you respond to it. Truth always demands a response. You either keep it or suppress it, but it will get a response. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth is a guardian and a ground for love and unity because of the truth. Truth abides in and with us. It says the truth that abides in and with us forever. To be in you is to influence you. To be with you is to be alongside of you. Like the Holy Spirit is in you 
and alongside of you. Like Jesus Christ is in you and alongside of you. Inside of you to encourage you. Inside of you to make you grow. Alongside of you to keep you going and to befriend you. The truth sets you free and helps you to grow. And salvation flows from the truth. The rest of the verse says grace, mercy, and peace. These are words of salvation. The grace of God. The unmerited favor of God. Which flows out the mercy of God. Which brings the peace of God. And where does it come from? The Father and Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. How? In love and in truth. Now, something else the truth does is it distinguishes. Now, look closely at the verse. It says, uh, in verse 4, it says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Notice it doesn't say all of your children. That's kind of odd, isn't it? It says, I, I like to find some of your children walking in the truth. Now, I don't think this is a slap at the fact that You know, that, oh, you know what, I can see this congregation and some of you are okay, but I don't know about the rest of you. I think this is indicating the fact that there's a distinction in truth that distinguishes the people of God from the visible church, that which is known as the visible church and the invisible church. Now, you might ask, what what is the visible and invisible church? Well, the Westminster Confession, our friend helps us with that. What is the visible church? The church... The visible church is the society made up such as in all ages and places in the world who do profess the true religion and of their children. So everyone who is on paper the member and has made a profession of their faith is a member of the visual of the of the visible ter- church. You can see each other. Outwardly we're part of that church. So what's the invisible church then? Is it some kind of an alien church? Some kind of a a, a freaky church out there? No, actually the invisible church is the invisible church is the whole number of the elect that have been, are, and will be gathered in under one Christ uh, and under Christ the head. Does that mean that Perhaps if you're part of the visible church, that is a member of the visible church, that you are necessarily part of the invisible church? Well, the Westminster says to this, it says, are they all saved who hear the gospel and live in the church? The answer, all that hear the gospel and live in the visible church are not saved. But only they who are the true members of the church invisible. And that begs the question, Am I part of the invisible church? Or am I merely part of the visible church? Well, here's a couple of questions you can ask yourself. One, have you repented and are repenting of your sins? Now, that assumes that you believe you're a sinner. Or is there something niggling in the back of your mind that says, I'm not that bad. I'm a nice person. God will kind of judge me based on how nice I was. If you believe that you're a sinner that's a good indication that you're part of the invisible church. Two, have you trusted in Jesus Christ as being the only one who bled and died to pay for those sins? Or Jesus was cool that he died on the cross, but you know, my good works would kind of help me out. If you trust in Jesus Christ alone 
and you know you're a sinner and you know that you've been forgiven for your sin by Jesus Christ who lived, died, and rose from the, rose from the grave, that's a pretty good indication, if you really believe that, that you're part of the invisible church. Do you constantly repent and try to live in obedience to the word of God and take God seriously? If you say yes to that, then you're probably part of the invisible church. Does it trouble you if you might not be part of the the invisible church? Then that's a good indication that you probably are. Because if it didn't bother you, then you wouldn't be. You'd think church is just a club. But if it bothers you, at least you're willing to continue to repent. If you have doubts in your mind on whether or not you are part of God's elect, I would suggest to you to grab your soul by the throat and turn its head and make it look at the cross and tell it to repent. Tell your soul and preach the gospel to your soul and keep it there until it does. Do that every day. And you can be assured as your life goes on, your assurance will build as to whether you're part of the invisible church. Because truth unites us. And truth unites us and in our surroundings. And our surroundings aren't merely um, the world out there, but it's also our surroundings where we are in the church itself. Kind of like in the old neighborhood. The neighborhood was my surrounding at one point, but then my building, as it were, was my second surrounding that I had to be aware of. Let's move on. We're going to go from verses 5 through 6 now, where... How are we to walk in our surroundings? You're going to see some words repeated, some more words repeated. Look for words like commandment. You're going to see that repeated. Walk. You're going to see love repeated. Commandment is repeated three times. It says, now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is his commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. The commandment is not a new thing. He says, it's not as though I'm writing you a new one. So no, this is not a new commandment. This is something we've had from the beginning. This is source code, as it were. It's a fundamental commandment. It's a commandment that is, from the beginning, that came from the very lips of Jesus. Jesus in John fifteen twelve said, This is my commandment, that we love one another. That's the very first commandment he gave to the church. That love is fundamental. It's, the, it's the, that we had that from the beginning, that we love one another. First John chapter 3, verse 11 says that this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Love is expressed to God and brothers by walking according to his commandments. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. Jesus said, John 15, 10, If you love me, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command, abide in my love. It is the standard by which we walk his commandments. It's a point of reference His commandments are a point of reference in teaching us how to walk. Walk according to them. Walking comes as a result of hearing of faith. He says this is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning with its purpose of walking in it. There's a past, or I'm sorry, there is a beginning, middle, and end to walking. 
walking according to his commandments, walking in his commandments, and walking in truth. Walking in God's truth. How do we do that? By being obedient to Christ's commandments. Now Jesus said that real love expresses itself as we walk faithfully according to the truth. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created by him. Without him nothing was made which has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Think about that for a minute. You see, as a background to this epistle, there were many deceivers that were running around claiming that that had not happened. They were called docetics, that Jesus had not come in flesh. They thought flesh was bad, spirit good. So Jesus could not have come in the flesh, because if he did, then he wouldn't be God, because flesh is bad. But it says that he came in the flesh. Now, this God called into being Every tree that you see, you see some trees out the window, God called that into being, let there be, and it was. God called every bush that you see out in there, thorns and without, and they were. He called into being all of the ore that's inside of the ground. He called into being every mountain that you see, every mountain range and every hill. God, who called the trees... To be called one tree to be caught down and carved into a beam that he would carry. God who called Jesus, who called the bush to be created, created the bush that would be formed into a crown of thorns that would be placed on his head. This Jesus put the ore in the ground that would be forged into the nails that would be driven through his wrists. This Jesus called into being the hill by which all those elements would be gathered and he would be displayed on that cross. Perfect love, greater love has no man than this, that he give his life for a friend. And how did Jesus express his love for you? By willingly walking through all of that, creating all of that, so that he could pay the price, shed his real blood out of his real body experiencing real pain on a real cross because he also called you into existence. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's why I tell you Preach the gospel to your souls every day. Turn it to that bleeding body because that's what paid for your sins. But he didn't stay on the cross. See, he's not a defeated Savior. He rose up from the, get, from the dead. And that means that the payment was accepted. 
His substitutionary atonement was accepted and received by God. And now you are free. If you repent and trust in that and that alone. That's the commandment that came from God at the, very belie- at the beginning. That you believe in his son and love one another through that. All right, the people of God are elected in love and in truth, and they're elected out of the world. We are to walk in love and in truth and guard that truth in the world. And the truth distinguishes the visible from the invisible church. And finally, we have to go from verse 7 to 11. What are, in view of that, what are we to watch out for? What are we to be aware of in our surroundings? Verse 7 says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and an antichrist. I was struggling with this one, not because there's not uh, you know, a vast amount of false prophets flopping around in here. There are. Um, but the interesting thing is what, what example to give. And then something came over the feed um, just a couple of weeks ago. There's a famous group called DC Talk. I don't know if you guys ever heard of them. Um, they love, you know, we, we love their music. They're very popular in the 80s and 90s, and some of them became part of Newsboys, I believe. Well, one of the DC Talk guys decided, he tweeted out, and he says, I will now call myself an ex-evangelical. He no longer wants to grasp onto the teachings that he had had from the beginning. He thought, eh, you know, I like deconstructing my faith. I like taking my faith and kind of, you know, I want to look into it and see if I really want to keep it or not. And I decided there's certain parts of it I don't want to keep. Such as the inerrancy of Scripture, such as whether or not Jesus Christ is really human flesh and all the rest of that stuff. I believe, says he, in the, quote, universal Christ. Well, the universal Christ is a little bit scary because that's very New Agey. There's, it's a buzzword for the New Age idea that Christ is just this uh, very Eastern mystical type of a, of a spirit, as it were. It's another Jesus. And this guy who has had influence within the church and within the youth in the church in, through, their mu- through his music still wants to be called a Christian. See, that's the thing. He doesn't want to give up the moniker of Christian. Therefore, he wants to still have influence but wants to deny the core teachings of that, denying that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And what does John say such a person is? It's a deceiver. It's a sad state. Apostasy is never fun. But it is what it is. And he says he is a deceiver and such a one. At least they're teaching his antichrist. First John chapter 2, verse 18 says, Children, this is the last hour. You've heard that antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been with us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. Because of these deceivers, because of these antichrists, these faux or false professors or false believers, we have to, verse 8, watch out. And this is the heart of of uh, of this book. Watch out. Watch out for what? Watch out for yourselves. So we're watching out, one, 
for deceivers. And how do we know they're deceivers? Do they line up with the truth that we have in Scripture? We also have to watch out for, it says, watch for yourselves. Being alert, keeping your minds engaged, knowing that truth. 1 John 2.21 says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because there's no lie in the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is Christ. This is the Antichrist, who did, he who denies the Father and the Son. Now, if you watch yourself, what are you going to lose? Because it says, watch out so that you do not lose what you've earned. Well, what is it? You're going to lose your salvation? Well, a Christian can't lose their salvation. A believer cannot lose their salvation. False believers never had it. But a true believer can't lose their salvation. What can they lose? Well, I'll tell you a quick story. We just came back from uh, Minnesota to go visit my boy, uh, Evan, out in, uh, he's, uh, he just finished school, he'll be back next week. Yay! Well, Evan took us on a little trail around a, in this little park in which there were all these wonderful sculptures. And one of the sculptures is this huge bell, think Liberty Bell, all right, something about the size of a Liberty Bell. Now, the story behind this bell is that it came from Germany. It was supposed to be used in a church, but it t- just didn't kind of ring right, so they tossed it for salvage. Well, this artist, I believe Kristen, I forget, Kristen something, went and took this bell and decided to turn it into a piece of artwork. So what they did is they took this bell and they rigged it in some way of contraption where every hour on the hour, it would rock back and forth. This thing is monstrously big. In fact, we took a picture with Susan. She was under it looking up like this. Sorry, dear. But it was really kind of cool to see. And the interesting thing about this is that the artist took out the clapper. So it rocks every hour on the hour, but it makes absolutely no sound. And the uh, artist says, you can bring your own ideas as to what the spell signifies. Whether if you're a secular person, whether it marks the hours as they come away, every hour that it dings. If you are a religious person and you bring something sacred to it, that you bring to that bell a call to worship, so says the artist. You can bring whatever you want to this bell with no clapper. Brothers and sisters, a bell is supposed to have a clapper to ring. Even if it's an ugly ring, it's a ring. It's supposed to make a sound. Otherwise, it's just a shape, an empty vessel that runs back and forth. Peace Community Church has to ring the bell of the gospel. That's what we are called to do. We are a church We need to be a church that sends forth and resounds the gospel as loudly and proudly as we can. We have a clapper. The clapper is scripture. The clapper is the gospel. We make a sound that goes on through all the Lincoln Way area, throughout Chicago. we got to make a sound. Even if it's a little bit of a dingle, we got to do something to have a sound go out. The devil would like nothing more than to get rid of our clapper. Deception and false teaching is what takes our clapper out. The devil doesn't have to worry about a church who has no gospel to preach. He could care less. The perfect world for the devil would be a beautiful suburban neighborhood with white picket fence, a church on every corner in which the gospel is not preached. 
If we're going to be faulted for something, it's going to be because we preach the gospel, because we let our bell ring. And that's what we're called to do. We have to watch out that we do so, that nobody takes our clapper, that nobody takes our sound. The devil wants us silent and sleeping. The world wants us just quiet. And our flesh would like us comfortable. God wants us loud and proud, proclaiming the gospel to keep ourselves effective. And what is it we want to hear? What is that reward we want? I'll tell you the reward I want. I want to hear the voice of my Father in heaven saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What I don't want to hear is, Be gone from me, I never knew you. How do we keep our effectiveness? By making sure that we have right teaching. The word teaching is used quite a bit. Everyone who goes ahead and does not abide in this teaching, verse 9, in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. They are defying the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Christ, the teaching of Jesus Christ. They're going too far. Doctrine becomes devalued. They don't abide in it. Doctrine is denied. Without good doctrine, you don't have God. If you don't have this teaching, you do not have God. But if you do abide in it, if you do abide in this teaching, you have both the Father and the Son. So, what, so doctrine must be defended. It must be defined. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study, do your best to show yourself as one approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I love the women of this church who have gone and invested the time in going to precept studies. Because if you've ever done precept studies, ladies here that do it know how much work that is, right? There's a lot of homework. And there's a lot of work to do. But it pays off. Because you get to know your word. And you get to be aware of your surroundings. And you get those lenses cleaned up. And you get to see false from de- deceptions from truth in the study of the Bible. And God bless the woman when they do that. Gentlemen. You have the charge, the privilege to lead and guard your families. You are the ones that should be taking up this scripture and making it a priority in your lives as well. And I'm sure some of you, many of you do. I know many of you that do. We cannot afford to use the excuse that we're not readers, that it's hard to read. And this stuff is like reading stereo instructions. And I'm not all about theology and all that stuff. No. You don't have the right not to study the Scriptures. I'm sorry, you don't. You have the responsibility to pick it up, to read it regularly in a disciplined manner and protect yourselves, your family, and your surroundings. It is the Word of God that brings you life. It is the Word of God that you have to pass down and guard generation to generation. That's your job. It's been given to you by God. But it's worth it, brothers, sisters. It is so worth it. They are the words of life. The teaching is Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. He has really come. There is no respecter of persons for false teachers either. Whoever brings to you 
in verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this truth, this gospel, don't even listen to them. Don't let them, don't crack the door. False teaching comes in a bunch of different ways. It used to be that these guys would come into a church abuse, or into a home, a church home, use their hospitality and love, infiltrate the church, and then turn the whole church upside down, much like they did to my grandma's apartment, and ransack it. Now they don't come in. They come in through podcasts. They come in through YouTube. They come in through the Internet. They come in through memes. False doctrine and false prophets come in in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. How do we open the door with that? Are we aware when, they, when it even hits us? Guard the door of your eyes, your ears, your mind, your emotions. Guard your house. Don't provide any, any support of any type to them. Know the truth. The truth will set you free. One more thing you're to know about your surroundings is that you're not alone. Though I have much to write you, said John, verse 12, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I would come to you and see you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. John had more to say, but what he wrote was sufficient. We're not to ask what more there was. That's between them. He wanted to have that fellowship with them face to face, mouth to mouth. He wanted that relationship to bring joy and let it be complete. He wanted that intimate fellowship, which is what we do here. But he also wanted to tell them that, he's, that they're not alone. There was, there was another congregation out there that's also going through the same things they were, and they send their greeting. We aren't alone. As Peace Church, there are many bells in the different parts of our neighborhood in the different parts of the United States that also ring the gospel, and we are to unite in harmony with them as well. Being aware of the false doctrine, but being in full support of those who preach true doctrine and preach the true gospel. People of God are in the world, but we're not of it. We're called to be aware of our surroundings and to value truth and to love one another. The warning is clear. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling like a roaring lion, seeking that those he can devour. It is a fitting thing that the belt of truth is the first thing mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6 as being part of the full armor of God. Or if you'd like, the suspenders of truth. Because the buckle of truth is what holds all the other armor together. If you undo the belt, you lose your shame. You become ashamed because you're unprepared for battle. And what is that truth? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Nothing conquers except truth, and the victory of truth is love. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word, which is truth. 
We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your gathering us. We thank you, Lord, because you are so great and merciful. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be alert, to take your word seriously, to study that word tenaciously, to love you desperately, and to grasp to that cross as if our life depended on it, because it does. I thank you for these people. May your word have its work in their lives. In Christ's name, amen.